0: Hey guys, welcome back to Luke Into Leukemia. My name is Nick, and this is the third episode of the podcast, uh, which is going to be about my bone marrow transplant. So if you haven't already, I would definitely check out episodes one and two. It'll set this this episode up, but I'll just go ahead and get right into it. Um, And for me, I had a bone marrow transplant from a donor, but there are two types of bone marrow transplant a bone marrow transplant called autologous and there's allergenic. So in an autologous transplant, the stem cells are collected from the patient's blood and then they're reintroduced. Um, So it's from yourself. But in an allergenic transplant, which is the one I had, the stem cells will come from another person. Um, And in my case, they came from a complete stranger and so the purpose of a bone marrow transplant is just to get rid of your, all your nasty cells because chemo can only do so much. Chemo will just kill those cells, but it can't prevent them from coming back. So with modern technology and where we are with, with treatment today, the best chance of getting rid of leukemia or other types of blood cancers is a bone marrow transplant. Um, So what this does is it just gets rid of all your cells and replaces them with somebody's healthy cells or your own healthy cells. Um, And then those will produce and multiply in a healthy way. And so for me, this was something that I knew I was gonna be getting from the very beginning of my treatment. Um, And I was already reading about it and and making sure that I was informed and, and knowledgeable about what I would be going through. Um, and if you're someone who is going to be going through a transplant um, I definitely encourage you to read about it um, a little bit before you go through it um, But read from it from reliable sources the American Cancer Society the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society These are great places to check out and get reliable information um, Because we know how the internet is and it can get scary reading a lot of things on there um, I have a story about getting scared from reading things on the internet that I'll share with you guys. Um, But nonetheless, we'll get into the episode. Um, And we left off last time where my transplant team and the transplant coordinator were looking at different options. We were trying to figure out if one of my family members, my brother, my parents were gonna be my donor or if we were gonna go with a stranger from the registry. and. We analyzed all the DNA, we analyzed the blood and all that. um, And what ended up being the best option was actually a complete stranger from overseas. I actually had eight potential perfect matches from the registry. um, And the first option was a complete stranger. Um, All I know is that he was from overseas and he was a male and he ended up being a perfect match. and to me, that's crazy because I have four family members that got tested and none of them were a perfect match. So I ended up having eight perfect matches in the registry. People I've never met in my life are completely unrelated to me. And so we decided that we would go with the perfect match, number one, from the registry. And we chose him because he was the youngest um, from from the group and he was a male as well. So that matched me perfectly. To me, this was just crazy to think that someone from overseas and someone I've never met can be a perfect match um, to donate. So once again, I highly encourage you guys to check out Be The Match Registry and get tested and potentially join the registry because you could save someone's life from anywhere in the world as long as they look into the registry and if you're there so i definitely encourage you guys to do that because it it's literally life-saving it's something that saved my life um and it's completely optional as well if you're in the registry and you don't want to donate you ended up not wanting to donate you can deny um but it doesn't hurt to just join the registry so approaching the transplant um, i mentioned that we cut off my chemo chemo stage two early because my body would need time to recover um, and so that we can get me into transplant earlier. And I remember one day, um, one of my last days of treatment at the infusion center, I was sitting there and because I knew transplant was coming, I thought it would be best if I start to familiarize myself with the process of transplant and some of the potential complications. And one of those complications is called GVHD, which is short for graft versus host disease. And that's sort of where the the donor cells that are put into your body they recognize your organs as foreign and they start to attack them. This can happen to your skin. It can tap happen to your liver, uh, to your gut, to your eyes. It can happen to a lot of different a lot of different things. Um, and it's something that is very serious in lowering the quality of life. Um, and that was something that was really important to me um, because I felt at that point that. I had, I had a very good treatment experience and I had a very good experience going through leukemia. I'd stayed at the hospital. I haven't had any pain that made me suffer. Um, so understanding that there was this re- very real um, and common um, complication lingering around the corner with transplant, that was very scary for me. Um, understanding that it's out of my hands completely. There's nothing I can do that will prevent GVHD. And it's also one of those things that it's not curable. Um, so there's no cure for it, but it is treatable. But I was looking too far into the future um, at that point. I was just being scared of, of my life 10 years from now. I, it was more so that I needed to to focus on what's happening a month from now. The transplant's happening a month from now. So I had to refocus and, and remember why we're doing this. Um, And the fact is we're doing it to save my life because there would be no 10 years from now to worry about if I didn't do the transplant. So going up to the transplant, we met with the oncology and transplant coordination team. um, And this was sort of to prepare me and, and make me knowledgeable about everything about the transplant, some potential side effects, some potential complications and um, just the process that I'll be going through. Um, and this was super helpful because I was going into transplant aware and informed of what to expect, what could go wrong. And that really helped ease my mind um, and ease my conscious. And there is one thing that I do remember about this meeting. and um, That was because for the first time since my diagnosis, I actually... I saw numbers about my case. Um, I never asked my doctor what my prognosis was, what the survival rate is. I just wasn't concerned with any of that. But before transplant, um, we did talk about it a little bit. um, And I wanted to share that with you guys now. So we talked about three different things, mortality, cure, and relapse. And we discussed the percentage of chance of it. So without the transplant, the chance of mortality is 100%, and the chance of cure or relapse is 0%. With the transplant, mortality is 15%. Cure was 50 to 65%. Um, He couldn't really give me the exact number, but he's saying since I was doing really well, um, it was closer to 65%. And then relapse was 35%. So comparatively, it's night and day. You know, 100% mortality is not an option. I'm not gonna take that. Um, The transplant gives me a fighting chance. It gives me a chance at a new life, to live again leukemia-free. So it's, yeah, it's night and day whether or not to get the transplant. I mean, there's only one answer in my case, and that was, yeah, that's what we have to do. And I was blessed with eight potential perfect matches. And so we went ahead and scheduled a transplant for November 25th with the donor from overseas. And I was gonna be admitted on November 17th. And before the transplant, we would need to get rid of all my cells again, um, all my blood producing cells. So how we would do that is I would go in, as I said, November 18th, which is eight days to transplant. For the first three days I was there, I was going to get total body radiation. Um, And I'll get that twice a day for the first three days. Then after that, I would get for four days a heavy chemo called fludarabine. Um, I can't remember if I got that once or twice a day. Um, But then I would have a day of rest. And then the transplant happened. And that was on November 25th. The day before thanksgiving which was cool um and then we would wait two days after transplant and then on day plus three we would get another chemo which was very heavy called cytoxin um and i would get that for two days and then directly after that on day plus five i would start immunosuppressant which was called tacrolimus and then i would start another medicine called cellcept and then another medicine called uh, Nupogen And what those two would do, they would just kind of promote um, growth and help those new cells to thrive and, and just set th- settle them in, basically. So those eight days before transplant flew by, I was ready to get it done. I was excited. Um, this was going to be the definitive step in my treatment that would lead me to recovery and lead me to where I am today. And I was so eager to, to be healthy again and, and transplant cannot come soon enough and those days ended up flying by and then transplant day comes and it was a great day. Um, I definitely felt a lot of love from my family um, that day and from everyone. And it was just a great memory, honestly. Um, a life-changing day. And I thank God every day for that transplant and for that day and for the opportunity, um, to have the transplant because not a lot of patients have so many perfect matches. Um, so yeah, I woke up that day and it was great because contrary to the COVID policies, which would say that we could only have one visitor, um, the hospital team let me have both my mom and my dad there for transplant, which was great because I'm only 19, you know, I'm, I'm, I still I still need my parents, and that's a very emotional day um, for me and my family. So for all three of us to be there was great because that was really special to all three be there in the hospital because that was not something that I think we'd ever experienced all being there at the same time. But it was also great because um, my brothers and my parents, they all got me transplant gifts because it's considered my new birthday. Um because I would be getting new new stem cells. Um, and so it was, it was a really big occasion. It was a celebratory occasion. So that's one reason why I look back on it with you know sort of a smile on my face and a warm heart because I could just see all the love um, and I can just reminisce and feel the love um, that I felt on that day. Um, so the transplant was gonna be early in the afternoon and and it rolls around soon enough. Um, before I know it, I see the the nurse come in with three syringes of stem cells in it. It's like this thick pink um, slushy-like thing. Um, and I was going to be getting them through my pick line, which is the line in my arm. Um, but usually, transplant patients get it through something called a port, um, which is underneath their skin on their chest. Um, so a needle pokes through and then... But because I had the pick line, we were gonna be putting it through there, which was fine. Um, and it's funny because I had that only because COVID caused a shortage of parts. Um, so I got it through the pick line. And um, when I first thought about it, I thought that they were gonna like cut in my bone and and put some things in there. Um, but that's not the case at all. They literally just injected through the line um, that I already had in my arm. So. It was not. I didn't feel a thing. It wasn't painful or anything. It was just like getting chemo or, or blood. Just went in there and did it sting. So, I was feeling good during transplant. I was a little bit tired because the medicines they gave me, uh, made me woozy and, and stuff. So, I I was just resting that day. Um, and I remember, <laughs> for the next couple of days, I was doing great. I was riding the bike several miles, um, and I was just feeling great. And I think psychologically had a lot to do with it as well because I felt like I was one step closer to being healthy and I felt like that was the, the defining moment for me. Um, but also, I, I went into the hospital um, with the goal to beat the, the quickest time out after transplant, um, which I think was 16 or 17 days. So I was going in there. I was trying to do everything I can to stay healthy and then get out as fast as I can um, because Christmas was gonna be right around the corner and I wanted to be home with my family for Christmas. So that was my goal. Um, And so I was riding a bike every day, making sure I walked, you know, taking care of my oral hygiene and all that and, I was just thinking like, man, you know, I feel so great after transplant, like a week after transplant, I'm still out here, you know, biking, doing all these, all these things, um, being really active. Um, and I was like, when's it gonna hit? When am I gonna get sick? And oh boy, did I jinx myself. Um, December 6th, which was a Sunday, day 10 after transplant, I got very sick. I was watching Liverpool versus Wolves On the TV, It was a great game. Um, We actually won 4-0. But I was watching the game, and then halftime came around, and I just laid down. Um, And then the game came back on, and I didn't get back up. And and my dad was like, you okay? And I'm like, no, I think I have a fever. Um, So we called the nurse, and she took my fever, or she took my temperature. Turns out I had a fever. um, And then a little while passed, I threw up. um, And then I just kept throwing up, kept throwing up. If I tried to drink water, I threw up. If I try to take pills, I threw up. Um, so I couldn't take anything in, in my system. Um, and I threw up probably everything I had. Um, and so that was very scary um, because I'm 10 days after transplant and my body's very sensitive. I have no immune system. Um, and I mentioned you know, the 15% mortality and this is where that 15% comes in and in getting infections during transplant um, or getting GVHD immediately after. Um, so what happens um, is that I kept throwing up and then they had to get on top of things real quick. And they were, they were great about that. Uh, my team, immediately when I got sick, they were all over me trying to figure out where it was um, that was making me sick. And they... Pulled my pick line from my left arm um, because they thought it might be infected, so they wanted to see that, and they put a new one in my right arm, um, and they were testing me for hundreds of different viruses, and all the meanwhile I was just basically knocked out with a fever, um, and I couldn't do anything without throwing up, so I was just I was just miserable in bed. Um, So, we're trying to figure out what it is, um, and the time goes by, and then my hospital had a visitation policy because of COVID. Um, So, the visitor hours were between 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. So, what that meant is that I could only have one visitor a day, and it had to be between those hours. So, 8 p.m. approached, and sometimes they were lenient, and they let a parent stay the night, Um, but... 8 p.m. approached and I was still very sick, high fever, um, couldn't take anything down without throwing up. And my dad tries to talk with the lead nurse on the floor to try to stay the night with me because I'm really sick and, you know, I want him there and he wants to be there with me because imagine your son with leukemia goes through a crazy procedure, a bone marrow transplant um, with a high risk for complications. Um, and then 10 days out, he gets deathly ill. And then the team is telling you have to leave. That's scary, that is hard. Um, and so he was telling them, no, 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 I, I need to stay. My son is, My son is very sick and he needs me here um and it got to the point where they were they were telling him look if you don't leave then we need to bring security up here to escort you out and he ended up leaving um without the security for the record um but i think about that a lot today um because that's very scary you know to see your son go through transplant and get very sick very rapidly and then being told that you have to leave Um, that he can't be there physically with me and be there physically for me. So that's something I think about a lot. Um, And I think about how contradictory um, the COVID policies were at the time because any given day, any one of my visitors could leave at the end of visiting hours as they're supposed to, and then they can go out wherever they want. And if they get sick, they can just come back the next day and bring it to me. Or the other patients which to me doesn't make as much sense as if they were just allowed to stay the night Um, and that even reduces the risk of them going out somewhere to bring something in so that was the time that the visitor policy hurt the most Um, but the next day my mom was able to come up um, and we were starting to get to the bottom of my infection still the same thing I was not able to eat anything. I had a super high fever. Um, and they were starting to get to the bottom of it. And they found out that it was sepsis and double pneumonia. So they put me on some medicine. Um, and everything was through the IV at this point. Because I couldn't take anything down orally without throwing it back up. So I had like five pumps hooked up um, to my IV. And my oxygen level also was starting to go down, so they had to put me on the oxygen tube. Um, and eventually they had to give me a whole oxygen mask because it wasn't enough. And by the grace of God, um, the second day when my mom was, a- was visiting me, um, the hospital did let her stay the night, um, each night until I was better and was good enough to be on my own. Um, and that was a great relief because it's so comforting to have someone you love there with you, um, at all times, even, even as you sleep, because going to sleep alone and then waking up alone as a cancer patient, it's, it's hard for me at least. Um, and so we figured out what it was, but because my oxygen levels were, were still running very low, we kept having to, to do tests, um, and imaging and, all these sorts of things. Um, And my oxygen level got really low to the point where they were ready to admit me to the ICU. Um, And I was so close to being admitted to the ICU, but it's funny hearing this story because I was sick at the time, so I don't remember it. Um, I have to listen to my mom tell me, but because it was Christmas, because it was coming around Christmas, uh, my parents decorated my room. It was beautiful. Um, all Christmas lights everywhere, just decorations everywhere, Christmas tree. Um, and it was like it was just a great place to be. It felt felt very warm. Um, it felt almost like home. It almost didn't feel like a hospital because we made it our own. Um, and the ICU admitting nurse comes in to to check on me to see, um, if we need to bring me to the ICU and she comes in there and, and I guess she made the decision that I would be better off up in the tower with my mom at my own room than for them to transfer me into an ICU room by myself. Um, and it's just a drab hospital room. Um, and so that was, that was really powerful how she knew that, you know, the, the power of family, um, and the power of comfort, um, and healing. So that was something that I'm extremely thankful for because had I gone to the ICU, I don't know how things would would have turned out because that's scary, Um, very scary, um, given the risks that I was at. So that was a very scary time. And then on top of the pneumonia and the sepsis, what happened was the medicine I was on called tacrolimus, which is an immunosuppressant. So it keeps my immune system down it keeps the numbers down and tame so that they don't kill off or attack my new cells um and so because i was on those immunosuppressants um i guess Mm -hmm. the drug tacrolimus is, is something that if you get if you accumulate too much of in your body too high of a level then it can affect your brain and because my numbers were up too high what i actually experienced was hallucination so on top of being sick i started hallucinating and i had some very very bad dreams um but at one point i was hallucinating um and i thought my little brother was in the room there with me Um, and my mom said i was talking to him so that was a very crazy experience um to be both sick and hallucinating because I've never hallucinated before and I don't wanna ever do it again, um, it's very scary. So eventually um, I was able to get over the the virus and I actually got over it very rapidly um, once we were able to start treating it. And other than being sick, all my other counts looked good because engraftment had happened, which is where the donor cells take root and they start to produce. So we had already seen that that had occurred and we saw that through the numbers. Um, So everything else was looking great. So once I was fever free for I think three days, then they told me I could go home. Um, And the day I went home was December 14th, um, which was a great day. So excited to be able to go home, sleep in my own bed um, and not have to worry about being in the hospital or anything like that. So super excited to go home. I rung the bell, the floor has a has a bell that you ring when you finish um, treatment and you go home for the last time. So ringing that bell was, was a really special moment um, and a celebratory moment of everything that I've overcome and everything I've been through. And then I was I was good. I had to meet with the infectious disease doctor before I went home because he would give me treatment that I would administer to myself at home, as well as um, I would be giving myself magnesium um, because one of the medicines would deplete my magnesium. So going home, I knew I would be on the IV at home, which was really a big responsibility for my mom because she was gonna have to hook me up to that um, each day so I got home and it was a great time because it was enough time to where I was gonna be acclimated before Christmas um, and I was gonna be hopefully in a better place mentally and physically but ended up being that the next day um, I came down with a fever and so we had to call the unit and I had to go back to the hospital. The very next day I left, um, that was heartbreaking because I was so ready um, and so done with the hospital um, that I did not want to go back. So initially I got out on day 19, but I had to go back. So I didn't really get out on day 19, but I had to go back and that was the 15th. And I had the fever and no matter how many tests we ran, we just couldn't figure out what it was. Um, And they said that was okay, that a lot of times they actually do see it. They see a fever with unknown origin. Um, But as long as I was there for them to monitor um, and make sure that nothing goes south, um, it was going to be fine. So I stayed there until I was fever free for once again, two or three days. um, And then they let me home. Um, And so... The day I got home was um, I, I got out December 23rd. So my first day home was Christmas Eve, the 24th, which was just such a huge blessing because I was so exhausted at that point of being in the hospital. So exhausted of not being able to do anything, being sick. And on top of everything, all the sicknesses and that, I somehow I burst the blood vessels in my eye. Um, I believe it was my left eye, so I could not look at anything without getting a headache because one eye was blurry and the other eye was clear. So watching TV would give me a headache, so I didn't watch any TV. I couldn't look on my phone because the text was too small. I couldn't put it up, Um, and so anything I did would just give me a headache. So all I could do was just lay there all day because, you know, my eye was blurry and I would get a headache. So... That really sucked, but that that got better within a few months. Um, but yeah, that was really um, the gist of the transplant and my experience with it. Um, it was going really well until it didn't, and I got sick. But we got over that. Um, it wasn't anything detrimental, and I have no repercussions from it. Um, and as far as I mentioned GVHD earlier and my concern for that from the transplant. To this day, I have been super fortunate um, and super blessed to have not experienced any GVHD at all, actually. We suspect that I might have experienced oral GVHD, but it could have been delayed mucositis from all the chemo and radiation. So my doctor didn't want to tell me for sure it was GVHD um, or for sure it was mucositis, cause there's no way to tell, but that was back in February. And since then I have not had any sufferings due to GVHD. I do have to be very careful um, with GVHD. I have to be careful with my skin and avoiding the sun and then avoiding hot showers and heat. But I've been extremely blessed and fortunate to not have to worry about that. So overall, I've been extremely blessed. I can't complain one bit about my treatment or my transplant at all. Um, all glory to God for providing for me and bringing me through um, this difficult season of life. And yeah, I'm just super thankful for the way things did turn out because I was diagnosed with cancer, but the way that things happened, was perfect and i couldn't have asked for a better experience so thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of a look into leukemia um, i look forward to seeing you guys next week where we'll actually have a special guest on to talk about our experiences with cancer during the pandemic so that's going to be a special episode um, and super excited for you guys to meet our guest um, so i hope to see you guys then